All right, how you doing today? <laughs> I'm not going to tease you. That was pretty lame. But you guys ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed, the old saying? Yeah, so today was, someone laughed deeply, like, yeah, that was me. Uh, it's one of those days, I, I couldn't sleep last night, so I took, uh, I have these pills that help me sleep. Uh, I was going to make a really bad joke, but um, it didn't really work, so all it did was make me oversleep by like 30 minutes, so I only slept, I didn't sleep a lot, but I overslept, so then everything's behind, I'm rushing around, you know that feeling? It's a terrible feeling, and then when that happens, it's like sets everything off a little bit, right? It's like those movies where like butterfly effect, one thing affects the other, and then that's what it feels like. And then I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. So why did I tell you that? No idea. I'm just kidding. The reason I told you that is because maybe that happened to you today, or maybe you're in a place where you're just in a bad mood. That happens. People just get in a bad mood, right? And when you're in a bad mood, those of you that are, this is your home church, or if you're a Christian or whatever, you, you, you should come to church because you're good Christian people and you got good hearts and you want to learn from God, and that's awesome. It's beautiful. It's faithful. But you're not really wanting to be here, right? It's kind of like the kid, and you wake up, and you don't want to go to school, right? You go because you have to, but you, you hate it the whole day or at least half the day until lunch and recess. Um, I wish I had recess still. Anyway, I, uh, that might be you. And sometimes it's not even angry. Sometimes it's distracted by circumstances in life. Life's hard. It's a, it's a hard place. I was just talking to a friend about that this week, actually the other day, and I just said, man, it, what's hard about our faith is that life is hard. And when life gets hard, it makes all of this stuff difficult to focus on. So I guess all that to say, part of this journey, right, that there's more to life than the clothes you wear, the car you drive, the job you have, the money you have, the status, all those things, whatever brought you here today, maybe just because you got invited, you're already here. And if you came to be entertained, I've already probably sorely disappointed you. And it really, it hopefully can only look up from here. But what I'm saying is, make it a focus today. Try to get something out of it. Be here. Fight off those bad moods. Fight off those things and reasons you don't want to be here. Fight off the exhaustion. Fight off the, how things are going wrong. And just be present and see what God has for you. Because here's the thing. I said that in my prayer, and it's not just pastor talk, because I'm not good at that anyway. God's word is true. And you're here for a reason, whether you consider yourself a believer or you just think there's something more to life. You owe it to yourself to give it the attention it deserves, right? That's the only way you're going to find out. So shake it off. Shake it off. Yeah, so shake off whatever that is and just try to be present. Deal? And I'll try to be present too, right? Because I've decided from now on, I told you last week, whatever body language you're all doing, I'm returning. So if you're this person, this is what you're getting all day. I'm just going to kind of gauge the crowd. Okay, so far it's this. <laughs> All right? So a little better. All right, we'll move on. If I stop and, and do that in the middle, where I just go, you know why. Don't even try to stop me. That's what's happening. So this is the last week in a series that we're in called Chains. And the idea is, <clears throat> I don't know about you, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, uh, Christians aren't always very joyful people. And it doesn't make any sense because on the one hand, they're telling you, hey, life is great and eternal life and God is real and he loves us. And they're very sad and very angry. And so you're kind of going, what's, what's the deal here, right? Um, or they're angry or snotty. These are just things I thought before I came and still do. So uh, I can say that because I'm a Christian now. It's not as offensive. <clears throat> um, so what, I'm, what we've been talking about is why. Why is that? If we have hope. Just something as simple as eternal life. If that's real, if that's real, if there really is a creator and a God who not only is looking out for everything, but specifically sees you, individually sees you. You know, sometimes we think that God is like looking at us like we're an ant farm. You know, they say, oh, I like all my ants, right? But no, he specifically sees you and is interacting in your life. If that's true, if verses like God is love, right, that's what it says, is true. If God says he'll never leave us or forsake us, why are we so mopey and sad and weighed down and angry? And that's what we're talking about. And we've been talking about really what it boils down to is three chains. We talked about fear, right? We talked about shame and the answers to those and the things we have to cling to. And today we're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about a chain that for some of us in this room comes and goes. It comes and goes. But for others in the room... And for certain seasons of our life, uh, man, 
it's so heavy around our necks even now that it's a struggle to get up in the morning. It's a struggle to, to put the smile on. It's a struggle to show up to anything. And what I'm talking about is hopelessness. And that's not a word we typically use, right? We use things like sad, depressed, angry. But hopelessness, how often do you walk around and say, how are you feeling today? I feel hopeless. It's very rare, but we all feel it. That thought or that feeling of what's the point? What's the point? Might as well give up. I might as well give in. There's nothing good coming. And even though you're not saying it to yourself, especially if you're a believer, it's just God's not going to do what he said he's going to do. Or if he did, it's some kind of cruel trick. There's no point. I love definitions, as you know. So in order to understand hopelessness, you got to understand hope. What is hope? Well, hope's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Well, that's kind of like, well, whatever. But the old version of it, the archaic definition is a feeling of trust. Isn't that interesting? Do you ever connect hope with trust? Isn't that what it is? You trust that something is going to happen. That something positive, something you're longing for, a situation is going to work out for the good. You're trusting that's going to happen. Well, what I thought was so fascinating is the opposite of hope, of hope right? Hopelessness. The definition of hopelessness, listen to this. One, it's a feeling or state of despair. And the other definition is a lack of hope. Let that sink in. So a lack of hope is not mistrust. You know what I mean? It's not the opposite. It's a feeling or state of despair. And what that tells us is when, when we don't have hope, when we don't have trust, when we don't believe something's going to work out, that by our very nature as humanity, right, we fall into a pit of despair. And despair is a powerful word. It didn't say a feeling or state of sad. Without hope, we are in despair, darkness, depression, sadness. Now, I said this earlier, every single human that's walked the face of this earth has felt this at one time or another. And if you're one of those people that's blessed, you can, you can come out of it real fast, right? And it kind of comes and goes. Or you distract yourself. That's typical in the modern world. Let me just drink a little more, smoke a little more, buy a little more, feel a little more, meet a little more, sleep with a little more, whatever it is. Whatever can distract us. The lack of hope is, is a heavy burden. And it's kind of, uh, it's the fruit of dark, scary, fearful situations. That's the thing. Hopelessness comes from real situations, right? It's not just something you wake up with. I mean, it is, but it always boils from something else. It, it comes from real things. And I don't want to stay here and just tell you like, hey, just be happy. No, the, the situations we deal with are real. And we need to deal with them in a real way because if the Bible and if God can't stand up to the reality of our lives not just the good but the bad, then, then this isn't real. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to live my life for something that isn't real, which, by the way, it is real, which means we can rest in it. Situations are hard. We have relationships in trouble. You know, it's funny. I was talking to someone this week, and they were talking about um, a kid, a teen, right? And in general, more than one, and you, and you have breakups, right? And it's funny as adults, we look at them and go, oh my gosh, I just can't believe they're hurt so bad by this little, you know, you'll find love again. And it's like you forget that in that moment, pain is subjective. You understand what that means? Someone's painful situation, right? And some, two other situations doesn't mean that they're not equal in pain. So for that kid, sometimes we're so flippant about the hurt and the despair that they feel, like it doesn't measure up to ours, but it does. And by the way, adults, when you and your girlfriend or boyfriend, if you're married, break up, you're just as sad and mopey. You just handle it different. Relationships are in trouble. Marriage is in trouble. That happens all the time. And let me tell you something. It's, it's, it's common in the church, too. You know why? Because you got two flawed people together, right? Just a beautiful mess. Finances, right? Man, especially now. Things are changing, right? Things are more expensive, causes more stress. Health. That's the one oftentimes when certain people in certain situations, I'm like, how do you wake up every day with a, with a terminal diagnosis? How do you wake up every day in that? 
How do you wake up and live your life in that? You know? How do you not give in to despair and hopelessness in those situations? We don't like to think about it. Me either. Can you imagine that? Our kids, kids aren't going the way you want them to. They're in trouble. Uh, they're hurting. Maybe they're in addiction. doesn't matter what you do. You can't help them. They can't get out of it. That's hopeless. You feel powerless, right? When things we love are threatened, hopelessness can set in. When there doesn't seem like a way out, a way forward, or a possible way through this, in the shadow of those moments, we find that hopelessness weighs us down even more. It's like quicksand. It's like, it's like standing on quicksand, like the cartoon version, not real quicksand, you know, the really scary one, with chains on us, just weighing us down, right? The situation's already bad. You're already in quicksand, but here, let me just put these chains on you in the middle of it. So you just sink further and further down. Worry and fear, despair, and ultimately doubt. And when doubt creeps in and takes over, that's when hopelessness sets in. Because that's what it is, right? If, if hope is a feeling of trust, and we have doubt, and doubt creeps in and really settles, then, then that's when hopelessness grows. Does that make sense? Think about your life. Think about the times when you feel hopeless. I've had two times in my life, now clearly, I'm, I say this all the time, my nickname by my, uh, my mom and others when I was younger, it was Eeyore, okay, I'll just tell you the truth, you know, which was really depressing, because like my brother's like, you're Tigger and all these fun things, and I'm Eeyore, and honestly, I get it now, I'm kind of the guy, I like to say I'm a realist, <laughs> it makes me feel better about the fact that I'm a pessimist, um, and, and really what that comes from, if I'm really honest, I make a joke about it, but it's because I, it's that, that little trick where I say, if I can... If I assume the worst, I'm not surprised, right? A lot of nods. Yeah, you get it, right? But here's the thing. It doesn't make it any less painful. It doesn't make it any less stressful. I just fool myself. And in the meantime, I always tell people I end up kind of worrying twice. You get what I mean? You grieve twice. This could happen, then it doesn't, in which case you've been sad for no reason. Or it does happen, and you've just been sad twice before it happened and during it. But I've had two moments in my life, so, so in general, the point of all that Eeyore story is, I can come in and out of that if I focus on it. And what helps me is I'm pretty driven, but that's not necessarily good, because eventually you're going to come to the end of yourself, right? But there's two, so there has to be more than just that, my own strength. So I had a lot of moments of this, it comes and goes, and so have you probably, but I've had two moments in my life that I would say are the two most hopeless moments of my life. When I really, and I mean this genuinely, I feel like I have to say this. Again, I always say this. I didn't grow up in the church, and I forget. Like, you guys probably think there's a lot of pastor talk, right? That's where they give you, the, you know, funny jokes and stories, and those are great, and, like, these kind of parables that aren't maybe real about their life, or maybe they are. This is all real. I have, I have no reason to make this up for you because uh, it would be nice if it wasn't. But I have these two moments in my life that are really, really uh, were dark and heavy. In fact, so heavy that I thought I would suffocate. You ever feel that way? I mean, I literally can remember being there. I used to describe, especially the one I'm going to tell you about today, everything seemed gray. That's literal. I know that sounds corny, right? If you've ever been in that, everything just seems like you're in a fog. It's gray, and it's, it's, it's not even necessarily dark, because at least dark is something, right? It's just gray. And I've told this part of this story before, and if so, bear with me. But I need to say it again, and if not, then you'll understand. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and that's only important for you to understand how I got where I was at. And when I say that, I, I mean that. Um, it's, there's a better chance, and you're going to laugh, okay, but it's true, I say this all the time, there's a better chance that I would, by circumstances, that I would worship Thor than Jesus. That's a fact, right? And if you want to know why, you can talk to me later. I'll tell you, I was a nerd, still am. <clears throat> but growing up, you know, we came, I'm so proud of my parents. My parents are pretty amazing people in a lot of ways, you know, I I joke about it, but my, my, my mom had me when she was 17, pretty crazy. She left her entire, my dad was, I think, 19, so they waited. Um, they, we were born in eastern Kentucky, I was born in eastern Kentucky, Appalachia. Anyone familiar with that? Really familiar? Not many, that's what I thought. It's kind of a forgotten part of America. We want to pour our resources into the inner cities, that's great. You know, there's not many jobs there, people are hopeless, addiction. Look it up. Look up the statistics for Appalachia and see what happens, right? When the coal mining stopped, there was nothing. My parents, um, 
And there's a lot of great people down there, and the culture is great, but it's a, it can be a hopeless place. My parents left. They moved up, up here away from everything they ever knew to give us a better opportunity, which they did. But they had to claw and scratch their way up. You know, when we moved up here, we didn't have a lot of money. Well, here's something about you Indiana folk. Um, you care about that, especially in school. So as I was growing up, um, we moved a lot. We moved back and forth. I'm going to the school. I got a southern accent. It still creeps out sometimes. I'm sure you hear it. People tell me, you're already nodding. I'm sorry. I can't help it. It just creeps out. <clears throat> and uh, so if you're chubby, <laughs> it's okay, um, you are, you're not wealthy and you speak with a southern accent, that's a recipe for disaster, right? And uh, if you're not familiar with elementary schools, that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, so I learned how to deal with that in a very healthy way by punching people in the face, right? That is literally, I'm, it's funny now, but growing up, when I tell you that, that's a true story. I just punched people in the face all the time. I just fought people all the time. And then eventually they leave you alone, but you don't really still have a ton of friends because then you just become the guy that punches everyone. <clears throat> so as I kind of clawed my way up, um, and I was a nerd, which didn't help. I really was. Then in sixth grade, and this is important to tell you because I'll try to fly through this. I played football in Warsaw for, for uh, I don't remember what they called it. I think they called it Pee Wee Football League. And all of a sudden, I found out that I was really good at one thing, okay, beyond fighting. <laughs> and I was playing football. I didn't know what I was doing. They just said, hey, that guy with the ball, go get him. And I did many, many times, right? <clears throat> all right? No big deal. Defensive player of the year, Pee Wee Football, still got the plaque. Uh, <clears throat> and so that, I remember that moment because everything started to change a little bit, right? The cool kids, because everybody at the time, even from, I'm from Napanee, would come to Warsaw because it was the only league. So all the cool kids there, and the cool kids were on my team, and they're like, wow, Blanton's pretty good at this. Oh, you know, and that's how, it's just how life works. Still not super popular. My parents are working and scraping. By the time I get in high school, my parents had, um, and I, I will brag on them all day long, we, we were pretty well off. We were doing a lot better. They just clawed and scratched their way to the top. So what I told you earlier, right? The opposite. You don't have any money. Money starts to pick up a little bit, right? Um, I'm good at football. Pretty good, right? And I went to a school where that's important and, and we're excellent in that. Uh, and so what happened was things started to change. So from being not popular, that completely flipped around. And I only tell you this not to brag. I always tell the story because I really want you to understand that I've been all, all over and why maybe it became what it became. So I go through. Things get better and better. I got a lot of friends. It's awesome. Life's going okay. At school, things are going okay. By my senior year, you know, all that, all that stuff that it's an unbelievable story in some ways, right? Captain of a football team, um, starting to get some looks from schools. I had all these dreams. I, uh, you know, prom king, all that kind of s stupid, silly stuff. But to when you're in high school, that matters, right? So I felt pretty good. And I had this desire. I was like, I'm going to go. I had it all mapped out. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to play football. I'm going to become an English teacher. I'm going to coach football. Simple, easy. And then I met a girl. And uh, at the same time that I met this girl, first, by the way, I, I found Jesus, or Jesus found me my junior year. All right, so I'm saved, but I don't really get it. They gave me a New Testament. That's all I had. I read it, but I didn't go to church. So I go and I meet this girl towards the end of my senior year who is a, uh, she's a Christian. At least she, she says that. I'm like, oh, all right, I've never dated a Christian. This will be great. <clears throat> and that began a, the craziest season, one of the craziest seasons of my life. Okay, so for this girl, my family sort of fell apart at this moment. It doesn't matter the details. I'm the oldest of three, four now. Part of it, yeah, see? Hint story. What do you mean, Todd? Come and talk to me. So, my family fell apart literally my senior year. And as that happened, my idolatry moved from football to the only stable thing I had, which was this girl. So, I gave it all up. I didn't go play football. I didn't, um, I went to college, but like every single weekend I'd go meet this girl, right? Every single weekend. Uh, trying to think of how much to tell you here. <clears throat> At the end of the day, um, that was not a stable relationship. Very emotionally unstable person. That's just honest, right? She was. I wasn't the most stable. So as my life fell apart, she became sort of the only anchor I had, right? Became my goddess. Well, the problem is, is that she uh, wasn't a very good goddess. Because over time, 
she found something else, right? As, I, as all those things sort of faded, right? It doesn't really matter after high school. I wasn't as interesting to her. <clears throat> so long story short, she ended up uh, breaking up with me, but they didn't stop there. She also kind of, because I had a good reputation in my hometown, she tried to say all these things about me because otherwise people are going to be like, what in the world? Why'd you, Todd Bland, why'd you break up with him? He's a nice guy. Now, that's okay. That got cleared up pretty easily. But that hurts, right? The person you love starts saying all these negative things. I'm not in football. Long story. This all happens in a period of about a year. I lose my license from an accident I was in when I was 16. The insurance people that are in the room, it's a very ironic story. And I didn't know this. So my parents got, this is a story I was told. Maybe it's not true. I'm 16, they switch insurance companies. Is there apparently a day or a few days in between there? Does it always happen automatically? Maybe they're lying to me and made me feel better. Either way, I got in an accident when I wasn't covered in the little bit of moments in between. And I'm like, ah, oh, 16, that's fine, I'll handle it. They waited until I'm 18, they sue me. I didn't know any of this. I didn't know anything. I didn't even have a home, right? My parents split up, things started going crazy. <clears throat> so they take my license. I have to pay like $4,000 to get it back. Turns out you have to pay for college. <laughs> and because I went to the last place, like, my last choice with the worst package, at the end of the year, they're like, hey, so it turns out you owe us 10000 and you can't come back. And I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean I have to pay you? <clears throat> so in a span of a year, I lost my girlfriend that I thought was everything. My family had fallen apart. I have no license. I can't go to school. I don't have a home. This is real. I have nowhere to go. <clears throat> I, I had nothing. And it got very, very hopeless. My reputation, I mean, I'm not kidding. There was no, I was homeless. And a lot of crazy things happened. But I legitimately, and I, that's why I take this seriously. You know, it's become popular to talk about, no offense, it's become popular to say suicidal, right? It's just it's a popular thing, and it kind of gets glamorized. It's not a glamorous thing. It's a serious thing, and it's a hopeless thing. And I was there. I don't talk about it a lot. I, I was there. You know, 19, 20 years old. I had, well, I mean, there was nothing. There was no, I couldn't even get a job to pay these things off, right? I mean, I, I had no car and no house. You tend, it's hard to find a job in those situations. That was it. I had two, it was during this time that I kind of fell back on my faith, and again, I didn't have anyone, but I had two verses that I clung to, and then we're going to pause this story. But these two verses that I put, I carried with me, Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. The version I memorized was different because all I had was an NIV. I almost started saying that. And then Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. I read those verses every single day. I would say them to myself, pray them, call out to God. But the longer it went, the harder it was to hold on. Because I'm telling you, right, the longer I was in this, the farther away those verses seemed. The farther away that truth seemed. To the point where I said it to myself, but I don't know if I believed it anymore. And that, in the midst of that, in that moment when I thought even God himself had turned his back on me, is the moment when hopelessness set in. Pause. The question that came to me is a question that usually comes to us in these moments, and you might be in this situation right now, and if you're not, awesome, but, and I hate to say this, and I hope it doesn't, but odds are it's going to come at some point, whether small or big. The question is like, is this all real? If you're a Christian especially, if this, is this all real? Is it actually real? Does God care? If he exists, does he care? Will he come through? And why does his will and his good always seemed to hurt. That's the lie, right? Typically, we doubt either God's power or his character. And as Christians, we're like, well, we, we, we acknowledge God, so it's typically his character, right? We say it's good, but in our heart, it's like his version of good, almost like a twisted, backwards thing. Why does it always have to hurt? Is there any hope? Is there any hope? Do you have any hope right now? Do you remember times when you didn't? Maybe you've been distracting yourself, whatever, wherever you're at. 
you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John 5, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. 1 John, if you don't, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen. 4, 3, 2, 1. That would have been cool. Didn't happen. There we go. I'm going to read these. There's quite a few verses, then we'll focus on two stories. This is the confidence we have before him. What do you think him is here? It's God, right? Jesus. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now, the Christianese part of you that's been raised in church is going to go, of course, Todd, but let that sink in. What it is, let's see that again. It says, okay, we have this confidence. Whatever we ask according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. He hears you. God hears your prayer. This is where it can get, you're going to have to face what you believe. God hears your prayer. He hears that thing that doesn't seem to be happening. He hears that situation, right? You're, you're pleased about that situation. It doesn't seem to be getting better. He hears it. And then it goes even further. And if we know that he hears, we know that we will have what we have asked for him. If he hears us, he's going to give it to us. How can that be real? How can that be real? I'm going to come back to this. There's a little caveat in there, right? A little addendum. Whatever we ask, whenever we ask anything according to his will. Now, I already caught some of you. So, so his will is for me to be in pain? No. No. God has an overall will and plan for our lives. It is for our good, right? That's what he tells us. Let's just stay with me. So that's a promise, right? Is this, do you think this is just a story, this little verse? Do you think this is just kind of like a, uh, a nice little Oprah scene you put on your fridge? No, this is either real or it's not. We have to deal with that. You have to deal with that. You can't gloss over this. Some of your faith is so tenuous that you don't want to look at that because if you look at that and believe that, your mind's going to go, well, then I can't believe because it isn't happening. We have to deal with this. Then we have Jesus saying this in Matthew, the Gospel, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. This is Jesus. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Pretty straightforward. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I'm going to break that down again, right? Keep asking. Keep knocking, keep seeking, and guess what? You're going to get what you're asking for. You're going to get what you seek, and the door's going to be open. Because everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and if you knock on the door, he's going to answer, right? And then he gives us this little story because, and he attaches this. Hey, which one of you that has kids, if your child is hungry, is going to give them a rock to eat? Now think about that literally, not symbolically. Yeah, here you go, eat this rock. Eat this poison. Eat this rat poison. Are you going to do that? I hope not. Otherwise, this is a whole different situation. No, you don't, right? And anyone that would do that, we would call what? Evil. That's the point here. Okay, he comes and asks him for a stick. Mom, can I have a fish stick? Right? That's my kid voice. <laughs> and you give them a snake, a cobra. Here you go, a live cobra. Would you do that? Even a dead one. Are you going to give your three-year-old, your ten-year-old? No, you're not. His point is, and he said, if you then, who have these evil thoughts, who have jealousies and hate, and you do things you don't want to do, and you don't certainly act good all the time, if you wouldn't do this, if that's evil to you, how do you think God feels? Do you think he's going to do that to you? Make sense? Understand, regardless of whether you agree, do we understand this little saying here, what he's saying? Okay. 
You've been told and I've been told to believe these things. And the reason I bring these up are these are very clear promises, right? Is there any sort of, you know, people are going to try to make it fit for you. You're going to get all these funny stories about how, well, you know, stone didn't really mean that. It meant bread, whatever, right? People try to fit this in a box so you feel better about the fact that God didn't come through. That's weak faith. It's not real. And it's not a faith I want or could live with. I read that and it's pretty straightforward. It's either real or it's not. He either told us the truth, he lied, he either exists or he doesn't. That's it. So I want to talk about two stories. Two stories about Jesus. And I think we're going to see all of this wrapped in that. You understand what I mean? Well, understand. We're going to look at uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. You've been told to believe that God wants good for you. Here's my question. Don't... Think this, really let this sink in. Do you believe that? I don't care if you've been a Christian for 60 years. I don't care if you've been a Christian. I'm not telling you you don't believe. What I'm asking you is, I'm not saying you don't believe in Jesus. Do you believe that he wants your good? Do you believe he answers your prayers? Do you believe he loves you? Or do you think he'll give you a snake if you ask for a fish? And so you don't ask. Let that sink in as we think. So Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. You can go ahead and pull it up. <clears throat> so this is Jesus. He's walking around. <clears throat> and it's interesting. I could go. There's a whole other side to this. Before you ask, why does it have to happen twice? I can't explain that right now in the context. It's pretty cool, though. He's making a point to his disciples about seeing clearly. But here we go. This is Jesus. Then they came to Bethsaida. Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him. Who's him? Capital H? Who? 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 Jesus, thank you. You confident you're not. All of a sudden I say to you, like, Jesus, wake up. Let's go. I'll throw a podium. They, <clears throat> he took the blind man. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. So he took him away from the people. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? A little addendum for you. Why did he spit? There's a very good chance it's because in the Jewish tradition, spit was supposedly having almost healing properties, right? It was almost... Um, so he was probably signifying to the man, hey, I'm going to help you. Get it? He would have understood that. Spitting on his hands and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look to me like trees walking. So he's blind. Now he's seen fuzzy, right? Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes, and he saw distinctly he was cured and could see everything. And he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. That's because it wasn't his time yet. He didn't want people to to know what he was, right, for a reason. So what's the story? It's pretty simple. There's a blind man that comes to him, blind, blind, not, hey, I've got a thick prescription of glasses. He cannot see. We're in with Jesus. Jesus spits, puts puts it on him. All of a sudden, he opens his eyes, and he can see hazily. Do you see anything? I can kind of see. He does it again, and the man can see clearly. Perfect. 2020. Here's my question. Would a blind man be hopeless in, in the idea? Would he have any hope that he'd ever see again? I'm serious, right? Nowadays, right? Do we, would a blind man back then have any hope that he would ever see again? Let that sink in. Really think about it. Of course not. Blind people don't see. That's why they're blind. Right? We can't cure that now, right, at this stage. We can make people that can see a little bit see better, but can we take a blind person and make them see? No. So this man has to have, he's given up all hope, and then it says they brought a blind man to him. I think this is interesting. I think that maybe this man was so hopeless he was sitting there saying, they're like, hey, let's go talk to this Jesus guy. Here he does miracles. What's the point? What's the point? You can't cure a blind man. People have prayed. I've gone to the temple. They're not going to fix me. It's a very interesting thing. And his friends probably dragged him there. What do you have to lose? You know, all those kinds of things. Let's go. Let's go. He probably didn't want to go. Maybe. Would you? How many times do you get let down before you say, I'm done? So he brings him here. Then Jesus pulls him out of the city, takes him back out. Here's my question. What if the man had given into his doubt and never went to see Jesus? He'd given into his hopelessness. There's no way out. Okay. Well, this would have never happened, right? You with me, Jill? Let me throw a podium. Okay. 
She's, no, like she's all gentle. She's going to punch me after. What if, what if he had walked away after the first spit, the first healing, when he said he could see, and he said, that's it? That's the best I can do? I'm done. I hate you. You have no power. You're not real, and he stormed off. What if he had left before Jesus could put his hands on him again? What if he'd given in to the hopelessness that probably turned to anger? It's like, I thought you were going to cure me. Now I can just see a little bit. This is almost teasing me. What if he had walked away thinking that the best, that that was the best Jesus could have done or angry that it wasn't fast enough? I came here to be cured. I didn't come here to see walking trees. I heard you did this for that guy. I heard this, this lame guy could walk and this is the best you can do for me? What if he had not waited? What if he had walked away? What if he had not waited? Well, it's pretty clear. If he had not waited, he wouldn't be seen. Right? If he had not waited, he would have missed the miracle. He would have missed the miracle. That's a fact, right? I know you've heard the story. Let that sink in. When you start realizing these are real people, it changes your view of the stories. We tend to think he was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Keep spitting on me. No, he didn't. I'm sure he was not happy. If he had given in to his hopelessness, he could have walked away. He could have never came. He could have gotten angry. He could have blamed God. He could have said it was a joke. All of these things, and then what? He would have missed the miracle. He'd still walked away either blind or partially blind. Or maybe he walks away because he says, that's, the, that's, that's okay. This is good enough. You'd have missed a miracle. There's another crazier story. Gospel of John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. Two sisters come to Jesus. They say, my brother is very sick. In fact, Jesus had met them before. He loved them. They were great people, good people, God-fearing people. It actually said Jesus loved these people, loved Lazarus. That's the man's name. And they come and say, hey, your buddy, your best friend is dying. He, he's got a sickness. I need you to come heal him. Hurry up. And it said Jesus just waited. His disciples said, hey, uh, your buddy's dying. You think we ought to get over there real fast? That's, that's where we leave off. Jesus finally shows up. As he makes his way there, the word comes, don't even come, Jesus. That's what they say before you read this. They tell him, don't even come. It's too late. He's dead. Too late. It's already over. What I wanted didn't happen, so it's over. Jesus went anyway, and we'll pick up on verse 38. Jesus comes. He sees all the people sad and angry. It says he was Angry, right, at the sin and death. Angry at our situation. Not angry at the people. Angry at what we're having to go through in this world. Then Jesus, angry in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Listen to this. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. Don't come. There's no point. Roll the stone. No, it's too late. He's disgusting. He's going to be rotting. Don't do this to us. Don't torture us. We told you he's dead. Jesus told her, didn't I tell you? That if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen straps and with his face wrapped in a cloth. It looked like a mummy. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Either happened or it didn't. We thought the blind guy was pretty hopeless. Okay. Now we're dealing with a dead person. Can you imagine the sisters? We're always like, oh, Martha, why didn't you have faith? You don't have faith, right? We struggle too. They believed enough to call Jesus. They thought if he got there in time, he could help, but it had to be on their time or it wasn't going to work. It didn't work. The worst case happens. It gets even worse. I don't want to be let down anymore. Don't even come. Don't waste your time. It's over. Maybe even a little bitter. You ever been that way with God? Then he shows up. He's angry. I'm sure Martha and the sister, why didn't you come? Why didn't you come? You, you said you loved us. Roll the stone away. No, quit torturing us. He's dead. I already told you. 
If you'd have just been here in time, right? If it had just happened, if it had happened faster, if you could have done it quicker. And then Jesus just makes that statement, didn't I tell you? He doesn't answer the way she wants. He doesn't tell her what she's going to do. or tell. He just says, didn't I tell you if you just believe, you'll see the glory of God? What if Martha, what if, first of all, what if when Lazarus was sick and Jesus was far off, they just said, there's no point, he's not going to get here in time? What if Martha had just told her sister and friends to leave and said it was impossible? What if Martha, after Jesus said that, I don't know, smacked him, kicked him, pushed him, got the crowd against him, look at this guy, he's torturing us. You're torturing me. This is a joke. It's cruel, right? He's, you're so cruel. Do you know how cruel that would be? Let that sink in. Someone passes away you love, and someone comes, hey, open the casket. After you ask them to come help? What if she had gotten impatient? What if she had yelled at Jesus, called him cruel, cursed him? What if she had not waited? What if she had not waited when he said, hey, even then, trust me. No, she stormed away. You know what I'm going to say, right? She would have missed the miracle. She would have missed the glory of God. What's more incredible? Him healing a sick man, right? Or him raising the dead? Raising the dead, right? Stay with me. Did they both end up the way they wanted, though? Was he healthy and whole again? Yeah. It didn't happen the way she thought, the way they wanted, because their minds could only think in the terms of humans, right? Dead people don't live. There's only one way out, and the only way out possibly is if you get here in time to save him. Jesus had to make a point here. I don't play by your rules. I don't live by your expectations. I'm not limited by your loss. I am above it and beyond it. I'm not contained. Coming back to my story. <clears throat> so, I really feel weird telling you guys some of this because I feel like it's so dramatic, but it really is my story and it's true. You know, I, I did the whole put a gun in my mouth thing. That's true. I would have done it. I know you're thinking, I promise you I would have. Because one thing about me, remember I told you I'm pretty driven? I would have finished what I started. But I'm inept and couldn't finagle the, the lock off the stupid trigger. That's a true story. Couldn't do it. <clears throat> And I remember throwing that, right? I can't even, can't even do this right. The only thing I thought would make me better is if God gave me her back. God, please give me her back. Right? God, please let me go back to this. I almost said the name of college. Let me go back here, Lord. Please let me finish the plans I had. Let me be a teacher, God. Please let me get my license back. Please, like some, just please, please, God, please let my friends be here. Please let my family care about me. Please let someone not forget about me. Please just give her back. I forgot one part of the story. In the midst of the insanity, going back before her and I broke up, I was Jacked around all the time. I was still homeless, right? I mean, that's hard. To, I, can, I don't want to be, you can talk to me privately. I'll tell you all the craziness. But one of the times she left, right? well, Todd, where were you at? At this time, I happened to be in the basement of an elderly couple that I didn't even know because I was staying with a relative who had moved there. And then that relative in the morning had just packed all their stuff and left. They were renting this apartment. They left me there. With this elderly couple, it wasn't my apartment, it wasn't my place, but I, I was there. No money. So I just uh, essentially squatted there until they noticed. <clears throat> but she left. And that night, you know, I prayed a lot of prayers, and I, and I tell people. So, so I prayed something, and it's important you hear this. I got on my knees, and I remember it very distinctly. I said, God, crying, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, get me out of this. This situation, all of it, whatever it takes, fix it. Fast forward, right? And then I started, I remember thinking, like, how cruel is that? When I said whatever it takes, I didn't mean hurt me, make me want to die, take away everything that I ever wanted or loved. I didn't mean that. I didn't. And I still to this day say, be careful what you pray for. But 
I waited. I didn't turn away. I didn't walk away. I waited. And my faith deepened in ways I can't even explain to you guys. People tell me that all the time, you know, it, it looks like, I mean, you're confident in your faith. First off, I'm human. I have a lot of non, I told you the pessimists, but any confidence I have have come from the fact that I've seen his goodness in the moments when it seemed like there was none. I followed him, right, in the valley, the shadow of death. And I couldn't see anything except that two feet in front of me. But I'm still in a tough situation, right? So a lot of cool things happen. I ended up getting my license back through a friend who gave me $2,000 as he was getting married that summer. So his fiance, now his wife, he's on my, still doesn't like me to this day, right? I get it. I paid him back in chunks. I was sitting at the computer. I, used a, I found a computer to use, and I was applying for a student loan. I was getting turned down, right? I didn't have any credit. This is a true story. I've said it many times. I sit here, and I'm praying, and I was like, I'm going to try. Hey, you're denied. I don't know why I did this. I prayed, all right, God. At this point, I'm like, I'm going to try one more time. That's stupid. It's the same company, the same website. Literally, you think I'm just a pastor story. I don't do that. It's annoying you think that. This is real. All right? I go through. I type it in. I hit refresh. Accepted. You think I'm kidding. That happened. Denied. Accepted. Nothing changed except I prayed. I go back to school. Not at Manchester, though. Oops, I said it. <laughs> I said it was my last place, too. I shouldn't have done that. Anyway, good school. Um, I end up getting back into school, going to a school I would never go to in a million years. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm not going to say the place, right, where I got my degree from. <laughs> but I went, I went to a school. I, never, I, I got back in. God did not give me the girl back. But you know what did happen? When I first went to this school, I went to this college. She had went there earlier and left. And it was because it was local and it was close by. And I had a couple friends that went there. And she had told people a bunch of stuff. And inexplicably, I don't know why, she sent me an email <laughs> apologizing for everything she'd done. I hadn't, heard, I hadn't heard from her in months. For all the lies she said, all the things she did. I had people coming and apologizing to me that had literally flipped me off and told me they hated me at a Christian college, by the way who had never met me, ended up apologizing. I didn't, get, I, didn't, uh, I didn't play college football, but I did end up playing professional football just to get it out of my system, I think, <clears throat> right? I wanted to be a teacher, an English teacher. I'm not an English teacher, but I still get to teach. Uh, he gave me back everything. <laughs> I get emotional. He gave me back everything, but better. Isn't that crazy? Everything. It didn't happen overnight. It was a miserable year. <laughs> a miserable year. But even in the midst of the miserable year, there's so many things I could tell you. Opportunities he gave me to tell people about his goodness. I told this story. You think I'm lying. I'm sitting on a bench at midnight, right, in Goshen, Indiana with a crying Nazi on my shoulder. This is a true story. You think, oh, he just was racist. No, he was a Nazi. He claimed and said, I am a Nazi, right? <laughs> Sobbing, telling me what happened, and his mom was raped, and that's what made him hate me. Just crazy stuff. He actually reached out to me on Real Talk like a year ago. True story. What if I had not waited? What if I had walked away? What if I'd taken it out of God's hands? What if I had hated him, turned away from him, listened to all the other people? What if I had? What if I had thought? What if I, he had actually, what if I got back what I thought was the best for me? I would never be here. If I had been with that girl, I would not be here, and Lord knows what would have happened. What if I hadn't waited, even when I didn't want to wait, because I had to? I would have missed all of this. I would have missed miracle after miracle after miracle. That's the truth. I don't have a reason to lie to you. I don't get a cookie for telling you that. It's the truth. I've seen it in my life, and I still doubt. Isn't that crazy? 
I gave you some promises. I'm going to leave you with a couple more, and I want you to let these sink in. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Okay, I told you guys I was going to do it. <laughs> Humble yourselves, therefore. You want me to do that? Stay awake for 10 minutes. All right. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so he may exalt you. Lift up and give honor. That's what exalt is. At the proper time, casting all your care on him because he cares for you. All your worries. He cares for you. Some of you in your room don't believe this anymore. You follow him because you're afraid of him or just in case. Because he cares for you. I'm not going to sugarcoat that for you. It's true or it's not. Right? Either cares for you or he doesn't. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Go ahead. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what he, we have asked of him. You believe that? Now, you don't believe that. You know why I know that? Because some of you still, you're half asleep. You don't believe it. You don't believe you're standing in the presence of the living God. You don't believe when he said two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. You're living in the world that you can see, touch, smell, and taste, which isn't always good. That's what you live in. Because we act like petulant children. You know what that means? Spoiled. You have to wake up to reality. And just because you're on the top of the mountain, don't not listen because you don't think you're ever going to the valley again. And I don't say that to scare you. I say it because it's reality. And no amount of money or status or fame or woman or man or sex is going to save you. It's not. It won't help. It'll distract you, but it's not enough. We have to have a reason for hope. That's outside of all of the things that we control because we're not very good at controlling things. So I'm going to give you the keys to hope. I'm going to make it fast. I've given you all the verses. You believe them, right? But I want to give you the keys that we can take from all of these stories. Number one, this is so simple. Remember, this is tiny. Remember, God cares for you. It says it. Yes or no? Did it say it? He cares for you. Right now, in the moment, well, what if I did this? What if I did that? That's what the cross was for. He cares for you. He loves you. It doesn't matter how it feels. You have to believe it. Faith is an action. It's not a feeling. Number two, because he loves you, because he cares for you, he has good plans for you. I've said this a hundred times. You know, I have a daughter. I love her a lot. I understand there is nothing in this world she could do that will ever make me not want good for her, and I suck. You understand? I'm not a good person. I'm not. So if I know that I would never do that to my child, what makes me or you think that God is worse than us? That he doesn't know what good is? My daughter doesn't always think it's good that I don't let her pull the cord out of the wall, right? I've said this story a million times. Or put her finger in the fan. That's the other one. Over and over again. Don't put your finger in the fan, right? Don't do this. I'm going to do it anyway. In that moment, she gets angry and sad because I'm not letting her do what she wants because it looks fun. But I know it's going to hurt her. I'm willing to upset her in the short term to protect her in the long term. Because I want good for her. Number three, God always, you may not be able to see that, it's all caps, always answers your prayer. Fact. Well, he hasn't. Yeah, he does. It's either yes, it's no, or it's not yet. Which means what? I know you don't like it. Keep waiting. He always answers it. Said it, right? Yes or no? We agreement. Whether you believe or not, did it say he answers our prayers? Yes, then he does. You've got to let that sink in. Yes, no, not yet. Number four, this is so helpful. Remember good, the concept of good. God is not limited by time, space, touch, taste, feel, all these things. He's not limited. 
He sees the entire painting. He sees all of it. He knew that if, if I'd gotten what I wanted, which would have helped me in the short term, I would never be here with all the beauty that I have now. You get it? I saw a tiny corner of the picture, and it was not a good little part. He sees the entire thing. God sees the big picture. We only see the corner. You have to believe that. Belief, here we go again, is not a feeling. It is an action. It is a choice, a choice that shows in the way we live our life. Let that sink in. Everybody says they can believe in God. Does it show? Number five, this is a really complicated one, wait. I'm terribly impatient. (laughs) This is still, I am terribly impatient. Why are you laughing, Jill? It's true, right? Oh, you too? Good. I thought you were mocking me. I am. Jill too. We're both terribly impatient. I'm terribly impatient. But sometimes all there is to do is wait. Be still and know that I am God. That I have this. She's going to come play some music. We're going to end up here. And I'm asking you a question. I'm going to keep it very simple. I know that's a lot, right? That's a lot. But I told you earlier, every single person in this room, even you kids, even you, I got them to look up. They're in their own world. Even you, you felt hopeless. You have, whether it's momentary, whether it's long-term. And some people are so blessed, man, you just have an ability to pull yourself out of that, right? That's incredible. But it doesn't matter if it's short or long, and some of you live in it. And in your hopelessness, you become bitter. And in your bitterness, you don't love people anymore. You waste day after day, year after year, not waiting, but distracting. There's a difference. Being distracted is not the same thing as waiting. You get what I mean? Distracting yourself is actually the opposite. You're trying not to wait. I'm not even going to stay here. I'm going to go over here and have fun because you're, and just maybe you'll come over here and I'll look over if I see it, but I'm not going to count on it. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm telling you all this great story. You know what I tell people? I will never lie to you. You know, I would never trade it. I would never trade what I went through. I would trade it. I would 100% trade it. If God had said, option A, all these terrible bad things happen, right? Option B, it doesn't. I'm going to take the it doesn't, clearly. But if God said to me, Todd, you can choose this, but you won't have this. You won't see this. You won't have Daisy. You won't live this life. You won't see miracles. You'll be safe, and you'll have what you think you want. I would not choose it. I would walk through it 10 times over if, I meant, if it meant I got to see these miracles. That's the truth. Are you feeling hopeless? Honestly. Remember I told you earlier, focus. For a second, come out of your thoughts, come out of your brain, come out of your distraction, come out of your irritation. Be here and ask yourself that simple question. Are you feeling hopeless? Maybe you don't even know you're hopeless because you've been so distracted. That doesn't heal it. That doesn't make it go away, does it? Are you hopeless? Have you given up in a situation? You'll keep walking because you have to. There's no good. There's no light. Are you dragged down by the weight? I can't, man, I can't tell you that your situation isn't real. I can't tell you it's going to get better tomorrow. I would be lying to you. I'm not even going to tell you it's going to go the way you want. I can't. I, that's a lie. I don't. I will never tell you that. What I can tell you is, is if you wait, he has good for you. I don't know what it looks like. And I'm not saying if you saw it now, you'd think it's good. But I believe it. Do you? Will you? Are you willing to cling to hope when even the people around you say, give it up? They'll never say that directly, right? They'll just say, well, maybe you should do this instead. Maybe you should give up. Maybe you should pivot. Maybe you should. But maybe you should wait. Maybe you should pray and ask God. And if you get the answer to wait, you just wait. Are you willing to trust God and wait? It sucks. (laughs) I 
get it sometimes, but I told you I wouldn't lie to you, and I guess I just use my story. You can use Lazarus, or you can use the blind man. Are you willing to wait to see the miracle? say it, it's another thing to do it. If you're willing to ask God to move in this situation and trust that he will in some way, somehow. Maybe you haven't yet, right? You realize that, but today's the day that can change. Let go of the weight of trying to, let's <laughs> play on words. You like that? I wish it was intentional. Right? You let that go and stop trying to do it yourself. That's the other thing. I have to make it happen because no one's coming, right? You don't even ask anymore. Are you willing to ask? Are you willing to lay it down? Are you saying, God, I trust you. I'm sorry. Come into this. You're going to get this time. It's called altar time. And if you're not a Christian, you've never been in church, it's going to look hokey. I thought the same thing, but it's real. It's an opportunity. No one else is going to be here in that moment except you and God. There's going to be people up here wanting to pray with you and for you because the Bible says it. Prayer of a righteous man is powerful indeed. There's power in that. There's something in the moment when we say to someone else and ask with them, right, to let go of it. That this an action. You don't have to. You can pray yourself. But what I would encourage you to do is listen, wait. And if he's telling you to act today, if he's telling you to respond, then do it. Do it. Some of you, that means letting go of your religion. You think you're trusting God when you're just trusting your religion. There's a difference. If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, you're probably like, well, that sounds good, but, 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 right? All your butts are but. <laughs> Get it? Nah, inappropriate, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> listen, I'm going to tell you the gospel. It's very simple. I say it every single week, but it's the truth. God made everything perfect. Perfect. And all he wanted was for us to trust him and know what right and wrong is. And our father and mother, right, long ago, our Adam and Eve said no. And before you're like, why am I being punished for what they did? You do it. You've done it. You've just set yourself above God, and you do it. We tend to do it every day, and sometimes big and sometimes small ways, and we say, no, 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 I'm in control. And because of that, because of our rebellion, we're separated from God. That's a fact. Sin, right? In the moment, like a branch broken off a tree, sin, we are dead and dying, and sin is a condition, it's a disease, and the symptoms are all the bad that comes out of it, and hate, and mistrust, and adultery, and lies, and thievery, and rape, and murder, and pillaging, and all these things, right? And also the things that come with that, despair, and hopelessness, and sadness, all of these things weren't a part of the design until we thought we could do it better, and this is what's happened. And because of that, God is perfectly holy and good. We are not, we can't be in relationship with him. We can't graft ourselves. We can't put the branch back on the tree. We don't have the ability. Well, we can try to grow some good fruit. We can try to, to look like we're living. We can tape some leaves onto our broken branch, but at the end of the day, it might look a little prettier, but it's still dying. That's a fact. And thousands of years of human existence show us that. And if you're in this room, I guarantee that you know it. Some part of you deep down knows what I'm saying is true and you're angry and you're throwing it away for all the reasons and all the bad things that happened to you, why it's not true. And yet that little bitty voice that said that your mind's like, oh, he's just, there's manipulation. No, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God himself. When we couldn't find our way to him, God came to us, Jesus Christ. God made flesh. The Son of God came down. He existed. He taught us how to live. He told us what the kingdom was like. He performed miracles to prove it. something incredible. You see, because we're separated from God, because we've chosen evil, God has to punish that. That's what a just God does. Well, I'm a good person. I say this all the time. Great. I'll come in your house and shoot your significant other and, and kick you and smack your dog, take your money, burn your car, and then when I go before the judge, I can say I was good 364 days of the year. And he goes, great. You know what? You're a good person. Go home. That's not a good judge. It's not just. So don't fool yourself that because you're good some of the time, that's enough. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everybody's in the same place without him. We're in trouble. The wages of sin are death. That's a fact. You can wish it isn't true all you want, but it is. One of these days, now or then, 
you will face the reality that God is real, that it's all real. So Jesus came and he did something incredible. He stood in our place. He died on the cross. He took the weight of our sin, the punishment. He stood in our place before the firing squad. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. Look it up. 500 witnesses saw it. And he offers us something incredible. He says, if you come to me, if you reverse the decision that you've made your whole life that says you're in control, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to clean it all up. If you'll come to me, if you'll say, I'm sorry, if you'll repent, if you'll believe what I'm telling you. Remember, belief's not understanding at all. It's a choice. If you will believe, trust me, if you do those things, I'll take your sin, your punishment, and I'll give you the benefits of my perfect, holy, spotless life. God will look at you as a son or daughter. He will look at you as perfect. He will always hear your prayers. The Bible makes it really clear, guys. It's simple. If we confess with our lips and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. You know it. You're too cool, maybe. Right? For some of you in the room, I get it. That's not going to take you very far. You have an opportunity to respond to that. Don't leave the same as you came in. If you don't know how to do that, there's people that are willing to pray with you up here. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.